open um, with a word of prayer, and, and then we will get started. Uh, and Roy, we've already we, we spoke about Miss Jackie, so everybody's aware of what's going on there, and we are praying for her too. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come into your house, uh, to be among your people, uh, and to study your word and to study your truth. I am just so thankful for those that are very faithful about being here each week to learn more about you. And I am thankful for the privilege and the opportunity of being able to share your truth with them. So we ask you, Lord, to be with us now in this time of study. Um, your word is truth, and we need that truth. And my prayer is that you will open our eyes and our ears and our minds and our lives and our hearts to these truths. I pray that you will help us to grasp them, to know them, to receive them, to believe them. And I also pray that you would be giving us willing hearts to go out and share these truths with others, to encourage others to come to know you as well. And so we thank you. We thank you, uh, Jesus, for dying on that cross to save us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting us of those realities. And we thank you, Father, for your plan of salvation and the purpose of your Son and your Spirit who came to do what they've done. And so this room belongs to you, and we just pray that you will have your way with us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, we, I wonder if we're going to finish up chapter 2 today. Um, which is the, the speaking of God and the Trinity. Um, in the past few weeks, we've been talking about the attributes of God. And then in the last two weeks, we've been talking about the Trinity, that God is one being and God is three persons. And again, we've just a couple of major things that we need to make sure that we pull out of this, this study is, number one, that Many of the heresies that have affected the church over the, the years, over the centuries, um, have come from a distortion of the Trinitarian doctrine, uh, uh, a falling away from the clear biblical teaching of, of who the Father is, who the Son is, and who the Spirit is, and their roles, and w- which each one of them does. And so we need to understand that we're not going to understand everything because he's God and for me to understand that he is three in one for me to understand all of the aspects of the trinity would mean that I have a mind capable of grasping God which is not the reality but the Bible has clearly taught us and clearly evidenced to us the father the son and the spirit and we need to make sure that we are seeking to know him better. Um, And you'll find that as you grow in your knowledge of who he is, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that your your prayer life will be enhanced because you you pray properly. Um, And your appreciation for him uh, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will grow. And it, it really helps us to understand the beauty of salvation. Because, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the roles of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We're going to make sure that we clearly distinguish those things. And we're going to make sure uh, that we keep those distinctions as we, as we continue on. Next week, we'll be getting into the decree of God. And as I promised you guys, there's going to be some things that we're going to run into that we might not necessarily agree on, and that's okay. 
Um, next week, it's, it's, it'll start getting a little tougher. Chapter 3 is one of the bumps in the road, uh, and, and, uh, and we'll look forward to that when we get there. But for today, let's focus on this. Um, if you have your bulletin with you, um, Chapter 2, uh, Paragraph 3 is actually um, in the inside left-hand corner. And I want to look first at the Bible verse that we're going to use. Galatians 4, 6 will be our jumping off point today. Galatians 4, 6 is actually up above that. If someone would like to read that out loud for us. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 6. Yeah, it's above the paragraph there. Because you were sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, the Abba, Father is a term of endearment. And, you know, I don't get to call Roy Daddy. Kelly, you do. He's your father. And not only that, but you have an access to him as your dad that I don't have. You could go over to his house at 3 o'clock in the morning and knock on the door, and he would open the door and receive you without hesitation. Anybody else who is not of his household, he's going to question, why are you here at 3 o'clock in the morning? And the reality is is that if you are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, if you have a regenerate heart, then you have an access to your Creator and your God and your Father that is special. And the door is always open. And so that term Abba, Father, is um, it's a term of endearment. And, and it's a, it's, some people say it's like being able to say Daddy. But it, it's, it's, more, it's more holy than that. It's more special than that. Abba. It, it's a way to call to God and realize that he has adopted me and made me his child. Um, and so... We, what we want to do is we want to look at this. It says, because you are sons. Well, what is the process that makes you a son of God or a daughter of God? Now, when we say son, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God, right? The offspring of God. And so for you ladies, you're included too, right? This is not a gender-specific uh, thing. Uh, we're his children. What is the, why? Why are we his children? Okay, he is our creator. And there is a general sense where as creator, he is the father of all creation. Yes, yes. Like he, he created it. So he, it, it all originates in him. Yes. But this is saying that he is our father, he is our Abba father, that we are his sons. Good, you become a family member. The Bible actually says that you are an heir and a co-heir with Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one that gets it all. He's the firstborn. All right? Now, again, there were believers in God the Father before Jesus' earthly birth, was there not? So when we call Jesus the firstborn, we're not saying he's the firstborn Right? We're saying that he is the firstborn in the sense that that is the 
title that he has. In our, our, our Monday Bible studies, we're talking about the firstborn, right? Isaac was the firstborn, but actually Esau was born before him. But Isaac is considered Abraham's firstborn. Why? What does it mean? He's the promised one. That's exactly right. Ishmael was a product of uh, Hagar and Abraham's efforts, physical human striving to produce a child. But Isaac was a child that was born of promise, not of human striving. Remember Sarah's womb was barren and she was beyond the age of being able to have kids. Well, there's a sense of that in your own salvation. You were not capable of saving yourself as a son of Adam. Yes. But because you were a child of promise, God gave you a new life. He gave you a regenerated heart. He gave you salvation. And you are now a child of the promise. Right? But Jesus is called the firstborn, not because he... So a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, well... He's the firstborn. That means he was before, born before the whole world. Like he was born before Christ. But the reality is, is that Jesus is the eternal son of God. He's always been. Well, he's not always been fleshly God. He became fleshly God at his first advent. But before the worlds were founded, he was already the son And he is eternally begotten of the Father, which means there was never a time when he was not the Son. Now, you and I have a hard time grasping that. Why? Why is it hard for me to grasp eternity? Because we don't know where the end is at. Or where it started. We're we're constrained to time. We know that our kids are born and that we die. And we we only know that time that we can study history... But as we study history, what happens? Our facts start getting blurrier the further back we go. Because we weren't there. And we can guess about what's going to happen in the future. We can study God's word and know some of the things that's going to happen in the future. But as we look outwards towards the future, what happens to our sight? It becomes blurry because we're not eternal. But God the Father and God the Son have always been. And he is eternally the son of God. So there was never a time when he was not the son. But the Bible calls him the firstborn. And what that is, is that is a title of right. The firstborn in the same way that Isaac is considered the firstborn. You see, what is the firstborn entitled to? The inheritance. inheritance. Good. Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob. But he don't get the inheritance. Why? Because of something he did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He slept with a stepmom. That's exactly right. He went into his father's bedroom and took his wife. And so he lost the right to the inheritance. You see? And the reality is, is Adam lost the right to the inheritance when? Uh, yes, actually, Judah is the one that gets the, uh, because Judah is where Jesus comes from. 
you can go, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it in Genesis at the end of Genesis when Jacob puts his blessings on all the kids. All of them get an inheritance, yeah. right? But the true inheritance is the eternal inheritance that comes in Christ. Right. And that eternal inheritance came through Judah because it was through the line of Judah. But we have to understand that Adam had the right to all creation. Did he not? Yes. And he lost that right. Why did he lose that right? He fell in sin. But the second Adam, Jesus, came and did everything that his father required. And he is the inheritor of all creation. And then the Bible teaches us that you and I are now co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Who gets it all? Jesus. And who does he share it with? His co-heirs. Right? Now... All through the Bible, it talks about our salvation being an inheritance. What do you do to get an inheritance? Nothing. It's really important to remember. You gotta be good. Nope. Nope. The only thing required for an inheritance is for the one who's given it to you to die and his willingness to share it with you. And so we inherit eternal salvation through the work of Christ. He died on the cross. His father gave him the inheritance. And now in his love and his willingness, he shares that inheritance with us. We're co-heirs with Christ. And it's not because we're good. It's because he is. And he's the one that's going to get the glory for it. But back to our, our verse, it says, because you are sons, which means that at some point, he adopted me into his family and made me his child. So you are a son or daughter of God now. And that takes place at regeneration. But we will find that in the, the plan of the triune God, that plan was already in place before you were ever born. Before the foundation of the world, God's plan of salvation was set. The father gave the son a people. The son agreed to come and die to save those people. He did what he was called to do. He was buried. He ascended into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the father. And the father and the son have now sent the spirit to complete the work that was began in the father and the son. And the reason that you are a child of God today is because the Holy Spirit made sure that that plan was carried out. God's plan was carried out in your life. And so what we want to do now is we want to, somebody has a, a statement? In a sense, then we're also part of the inheritance as the Father gave the church. Yes, in a sense. We're actually the bride. Jesus is the groom. The Father chose a bride for his son. And we are the gift of the Father to the Son. So, yes, we are a part of the inheritance. And so, you, um, well, just this week, I, I, I shared my uh, iTunes uh, account with, with Kelly and Billy because I was getting to work sometimes and I was trying to listen to music while I was working. It was saying somebody else is on your account and you can only have one person on your account at a time. 
or it'll cut off. And so I was afraid Billy was up here trying to do some work with the music for the thing, and I was disrupting him. So I added those two to my family plan, and now they're a part of my iTunes family, right? I chose to share that with them because they needed access. And so the reality is, is that when someone joins our church and we make that covenant vow, remember the covenant vow you all made with me as, as, as your brother in Christ? We're all family now. Like, we are an eternal family. And that is a part of the inheritance. I get a bunch of brothers and sisters. Yeah, I, I inherit a family. Yes. And, and think of all of the people that you've known over the years who are Christians that, that at other churches that you've attended and, and other times in your life, you know, your Sunday school class when you were a kid, your Sunday school... All of those are a part of the inheritance. So all of those are a part of the eternal kingdom of God. And it's a beautiful thing to think about. It's beautiful to think that, that well, there's an old Gaither song, I'm proud to be a part of the family of God, right? And it's a wonderful thing to think about. And so because you were sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so in that, we see some of the roles that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit carry out. And so I wanted the rest of our class today, I want to kind of focus on some of those things to, to distinguish those roles. Now, you don't have these in your notes. I'm just going to read you some stuff. Um, these notes that I'm reading here are coming from a preacher from the 1600s. His name is Benjamin Keach. He's a, he was a Baptist minister. And he's talking about the glory of God revealed in the Father, the glory of God revealed in the Son, and the glory of God revealed in the Spirit. And so I want to share some things with you to think about about the roles of the Father, some things to think about about the roles of the Son, and some things to think about when we talk about the roles of the Holy Spirit. And I will give you a couple Bible verses that we can kind of back, back up what we're saying. So first of all, our salvation and our hope is primarily ascribed to God the Father. And so, uh, to the wisdom of the, so we give credit to the wisdom of the Father in contriving the way that we are redeemed. To the love, mercy, and goodness of the Father, that all might redound to the glory of God the Father, and that all things are of God. So the Father is the first person. He's the first person of the Trinity. And he is also first in the order of divine operation. The Father chose Christ to be our surety and our savior. The father accepted him, Jesus, in our place. Think about that. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might. And so what was Jesus doing? Jesus was assuming our condemnation. The hell and the wrath that you and I deserve he was taking on that cross. And God the Father accepted his sacrifice and his life instead of yours. Yes. He sent him into the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right, that whosoever should believe on him will not perish but have everlasting life. One of the first verses we learn as Christians, as children, we learn that verse and it says, God so loved the world. Well, who is it talking about? Who, who is the person it's speaking of when it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son? We see the father and we see the son in that statement. And he is the only begotten of the father. Now, we need to understand what that word begotten means. And I've explained that to you guys in the past. 
begot means to give forth of the same like. So Roy begot a daughter. Roy did not beget cats or dogs or chickens. A man is only capable of begetting a man. I don't even think that's a real word, begetting. I don't think. I don't know. But ducks put off ducks. Geese put off geese. Fish put off fish. So to be begotten means of the same kind. So you and I are sons of God. Jesus is the son of God. But Jesus is the only begotten son of God. You and I are members of the family because we are adopted into the family. You see how that works? Through faith, we are begotten of the father. We are adopted as sons. Jesus was begotten. We are adopted. And so there's a distinction between the sonship of Jesus and the sonship of all of the other members of the family. He is of like substance and like essence. All right. So um, he anointed him. Now, we'll see that next week. We're going to talk about baptism next week. We're going to see John the Baptist baptize Jesus. And we're going to see that the father anointed the son with what? With who? Who did the father anoint the son with? The Holy Spirit. That's exactly right. So he anointed the son. He upheld him. He raised him from the dead and justified him. And God the Father justifies us in Christ. Our union is of the Father. There's a Bible verse that says this. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. It is of him that you are in Christ. It is of the Father that you are in Christ. So those are some of the things that we see when we talk about the glory of the Father revealed in the gospel. The glory of the Father revealed in the gospel. The gospel is the what? What does that word mean? What is our Sunday school answer for the gospel? Good news. news. Hey, I got some good news for you. Right? Your lottery numbers came in. You won some money. That's good news. Uh, The better news is is that you are an heir and co-heir with Christ Jesus. That is better news. The better news is is that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to save you. That's good news. And just like I was sharing with that man last night who is enslaved to alcoholism, the good news is that Christ died to save people just like you. The good news is that if you will repent, if you will turn from your sins and turn to him, he will forgive you and save you. And he's never said no to anybody that turns. Our problem is we don't want to turn because we would rather have the bad news than the good news. The bad news is the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. And fallen man would rather run and hide in the bushes and cover himself with the bad news than to admit his nakedness and receive the good news of salvation. So this glory of the Father is revealed in the gospel. Well, not only that, but the glory of the Son is revealed in the gospel. Let's look at some of those things. The glory of the Son, our blessed Redeemer, is also here and revealed. Uh, And it says, the glory of his person, who is God, essential with the Father. He is God. I and the Father are one. That's what he said. I and the Father are one. Now... One what? 
being or person? I and the Father are one. Is it being or person? Being. That's exactly right. Not I and the Father are one person. So you will see there are times in the life of Jesus where it says Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. Or Jesus spoke to his disciples in John 6 and said, but one of you is going to betray me. And he already knew who it was. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus uh, took off his robe and got on his knees and washed Jesus' feet, looking up at him knowing that in just a couple of minutes he was going to walk out of the room and go sell him out. So there are times in Jesus' life where he has omniscience, like he knows it, he knows things. But there are also times in his life as a man that he's not aware, that he doesn't know. They ask him about the return, and what did he say? Only my Father in heaven knows this. And so being clothed in humanity and having the frailty of humanity there were times in his life where he didn't know things. Do you remember what we learned last week in our, our sermon? Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. He grew in his knowledge and understanding of who he was, who his father was, and all of the world around him as a man. So he is 100% God and he is 100% man. And so when he says, I and the father are one, he's saying we are one being. Not only that, we are one in mind and in spirit. So God is the Father, God is the Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father in person. But in being, they are one. The Bible teaches us that the Father and the Son sent the Spirit into the world. His Spirit. Whose Spirit? God's Spirit. And again, when we try to wrap our mind around that, it's going to cause us confusion because He's God and we're not. And if we can understand all of that, then we would understand God. But He has given us, through Scripture, He has given us this Trinitarian Nature, so that we can better understand him and better understand how he's come to save us and better understand how we can have a relationship with him. We learn that when we pray, that we pray through the Spirit to Christ who intercedes with us to the Father. And so with this doctrine of the Trinity, we get a better grasp of what he did to save us. We get a better grasp of how we have a communion and a fellowship with God. And it also humbles and makes us realize we don't know everything, right? So uh, his, the glory of Jesus is revealed or the glory of God is revealed in Jesus' um, uh, office, that he is equal with God. So somebody look up Philippians 2.6 for me. We'll look at that passage. Philippians 2.6, talking about the glory of the Son. Philippians 2.6. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Somebody got that? 
Okay? Although existing in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men. So Jesus is one with the Father, and he did not think that it was robbery to consider himself equal with God. Why? Because he is God. You see? He's not robbing God of his glory by saying, I and the Father am one. Because he is God. He's not the Father, he's the Son. But he's God the Son. And he's equal with the Father. And when we talk about this glory, Jesus prays in John 17. He prays and says, return to me the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. That's a very important statement. He's saying, Father, give back to me the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. So what's happened? He's clothed himself in humanity and that that glory is, is veiled. In human flesh. And so after he dies on the cross and they bury him in the grave, when he comes out of the grave, remember Martha? She it says she didn't recognize him. And but when he said, but what did he say? Uh, uh, Or Mary. It was Mary, not Martha. And she was there by the tomb, and what did he say? He said, Mary. He spoke her name, and what did she say? Abba, Father. Because she called his name, she recognized him. But his, he was raised in a, in a new body. He was raised in, a, in, in his eternal state. And it's wonderful to think about that, that, that he died on that cross and that his glory had been veiled in human flesh But when he returns, when he busts his sky open and we see him again, he's coming in all of his glory. And he's the one that created the sun. And you can't stare at the sun because it'll burn your eyes. And think about how bright he is if he's the one that made it. Right? The sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. And me and you have to put on glasses to even get close to looking at it. Imagine how bright he's going to be when he returns. Because it's going to be an unveiled. He's going to come in all this glory. But he prayed to his father. He said, return to me the, the, the glory I had with you before the foundation of the world. And in the book of Isaiah, it tells us that Yahweh is a jealous God and that he will share his glory with no one. Yes. So think about the implications of that. The prophet Isaiah, who saw God on his throne, who saw Jesus robed in his glory. And it says that... I am a jealous God, and I will share my glory with no one. And yet Jesus is saying, share your glory back with me, the glory that I had with you before the world was ever founded. So that, that is a clear proof that Jesus is God because he has the same glory as the Father. And that glory is revealed in his gospel. So... Uh, The glory of his works. He was obedient to the law. He's the only person that ever came and lived the life that God commanded of him. I just posted this morning on our church page. I said, did you know that uh, uh, church attendance is commanded by God? It's a commandment. 
God commands us to come together and to worship him. And those who are not here this morning, unless they're sick or working, are showing a clear reflection of what they think of God's command. And I'm not preaching down at people because there's been a many a morning that I laid up sorry and didn't go to church. There's been a many a morning I spent Sunday mornings in a, on the river fishing or, or playing golf or hunting, sitting in a deer stand. Many a time. Many a time I laid up and couldn't get up because I was incapacitated from the night before. I'm just being honest with you. Yes. But the reality is that my heart had no desire to worship God. And so I stayed as far away from him as I could. But Jesus... Lived the life that you and I could not. He fulfilled his father's will completely. There was no command that he did not obey. He lived the perfect life. Because the only person that is getting into heaven is the perfect person. And the reason that one day you will go to heaven is not because you've done good. It's because Christ took away all of your bad And he shared his goodness with you. It's the merit of the works of Jesus that gets you into heaven and not yours. It is our faith in Christ and what he has done that saves us. What has he done? He lived a perfect, obedient life. Right? So a lot of people say that, well, Jesus came to live to show us an example of what we are supposed to be. Well, that is true. But it's more than him just being an example. Is he's the one. He's the only one that has ever done what God created Adam to do, which is to walk in his will and his ways. And so Christ lived that obedient life to the law. He fulfilled all the requirements of the law. We're going to see next week he gets baptized. And John's going to be like, yo, I need to be baptized by you. And you're telling me to baptize, baptize you? And Jesus said all of these things are done to fulfill righteousness. In other words, Jesus was showing what is commanded of all of the sons of Adam. And so he lived that perfect life uh, according to the law. He had all of these wonderful miracles. He died a suffering death. He was buried and raised gloriously in, in, in resurrection. And now he's seated at the Father's right hand. So the glory of his works, all of the miracles that he's done, and each and every one of you in this room, if you're a child of God, you are a miracle. You are a miracle baby, right? We've heard that term before. Well, the reality is you are. He regenerated your heart. He made you a child of God, and that's a miracle. Because but for the grace of God, I would never know him. And he gets all the credit. So the glory of Christ is revealed in respect to the glorious names or titles that he has given. Remember in Isaiah, our passage from Christmas, he's called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. So he's given these titles. Uh, And so all of the titles in the Old Testament that he is our provider and he is our redeemer, Jehovah Jireh. You remember Jehovah Shammah. Uh, and Jehovah Shalom, he's our peace. And so all of these titles that he has given reveals um, his glory. I want to read this paragraph to you. I thought this was really beautiful. Christ is all with God. He is all to God and he is all from God. We have no acceptance but in him. We only come to God by him and receive all from God through him. He is all in redemption, all in satisfaction, 
all in reconciliation, all in justification, union, communion, regeneration, and sanctification. He is all in of our pardon. He is all of our peace and all in our glorification. Christ is the foundation on which you and I are built. The fountain in which we are washed, the bread of life by which we are fed, the water of life which we drink. He is the word. He is our life. He is our light. He is our strength. He has made everything to our souls that we need. He is the power of God. He is Christ. He is the great repository of all sacred truth and of all grace. And Christ is the great outlet or conduit pipe that all grace and goodness comes to us. Through which all goodness and grace comes to us. We receive from God from him. Thus is the glory of the Son of God revealed. All right. So that's the Son and the roles that the Son plays. Lastly, the glory is revealed in the great victory and conquest he has obtained over all of our enemies. Death, O oh death, where is thy sting? The only reason that we can preach that at a funeral now when one of our loved ones' uh, uh, clay body is laying in that pine box is because Christ has overcome that death for the believer. And that's how he's glorified. So last of all, we got four or five minutes left. The glory of the Holy Ghost is revealed. So... Um, The Holy Ghost is a distinct person from the Father and the Son, yet the same God in essence. Uh, And he is called God. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit God. Let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture. The saints are called the temple of God because the Holy Ghost dwells in them. You are the temple of God because the Holy Ghost lives in you. You see? So that's pointing us to the fact that the Holy Ghost is God. Let's look at um, 1 Corinthians 3.16. 1 Corinthians 3.16. That's just back to the left of Philippians where you were just a minute ago. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Somebody want to read that for us? It's the Apostle Paul. What did he say? Okay, I got uh, All right. Right? You are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. So what we're doing is we're looking at a couple of verses that prove that the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is God. You are a temple and God dwells in you in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We'll look at one more. Acts 5, 3, and 4. Acts 5, 3, and 4. This is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, they were members of the church, upstanding members of the church, and they came in and and uh, and God struck them dead because they lied. Remember, so look at that Acts five verses three and four, and look what it says. Somebody want to read that for us? Acts 5, or Acts 15, isn't it? Where, where are you at? Oh, it's Acts 5, I know it's 3. Oh, yeah.
all right? So Peter asked Ananias, he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So who did Ananias lie to? The Holy Spirit, you see? Why did, why did Satan fill your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Well, the reality is for the glory of God because God is showing even the members of his church that if we live improperly, he will take you out. And it was God's glory that he was purifying his church and giving them a holy fear. You know, we fence this table every week before we take communion and say, if you are not walking with God, if you are living a life where you are living embracing sin. Now, all of us are sinners, but if I'm, so in other words, if I'm in this church and I'm out having an adulterous affair on the side and I come in and I walk forward in front of all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and partake of that wine, I'm telling you that I'm walking with the Lord and that I am not living willfully, knowingly embracing a sinful lifestyle. And Paul warns us, he said, to take of the cup and the wine, uh, bread, unworthily, is to drink and eat condemnation upon yourself. And I, I tried to explain that to somebody I was just counseling with this week. If you are a child of God and then you go out and willfully live opposed to his will, God is a just God. Yes. And it may just be that he just takes you on out so that he can have you on home with him. As opposed to living a life contrary to his will. And... and defaming his name, right? You shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. That's one of the commandments. And every one of us in this room, you're a Christian, and we've learned that Jesus Christ is God. And so if you have his name, if you are a Christian, and then you go out and live an empty life, you have taken his name in vain. It's not just saying OMG or GD or cussing and using God's name when you're joking. It's talking about the fact that you have the promise of God on you. You carry that title with you, and you are not to use it flippantly or lightly. And so that's what's happening here. But look what he says. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then at the bottom of the verse, look what it says. Why is it that you laid this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So what is Peter saying? The Holy Spirit, you lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. Yeah. It's proof that God, the, the Holy Spirit is God. And so we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and therefore the Spirit is the same God. We are baptized in the name. One name, three persons. Three. So it says, go therefore and baptize him in the name of of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say go baptize him in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one. Yes. All right? So the name of God is attributed to the Holy Spirit. Um, it's, uh, Ananias' lie was just a lie like any other lie, really, right? I mean, in a sense... I, I think Yeah, because uh, the Bible says all men are liars. We all, we all have been, you know, we're all alive here. Uh, was this an example or was it something more serious? It was both. It was both. 
Because the, what, the problem wasn't that, so what was happening was the Holy Spirit was at work in the church and everybody was coming and giving all kind of stuff to the church. Like they were selling their land, selling their possessions and giving all of their goods to the church. Well, Ananias and Sapphira came in and they gave money to the church. They sold a piece of land and they came in and they gave some, a portion of what the money that they got for it to the church. But the problem was not in them giving, selling it or giving it. The problem was is they came in with the, uh, they made it seem to all of the rest of the church that they had sold this piece of land and given all of the money to the church when in reality they had kept some for themselves. So if they had just come in and said, hey, we sold a piece of land and we're giving 40% of our, our, what we got for it to the church, they wouldn't have been lying. But they came in trying to show the rest of the church that they were given everything. Yeah, they withheld. Yeah, they, they acted they acted like they were given all when they weren't. And again, the church was a ba- in its infant infancy then. And God was showing you don't play around with with him. You don't mess around. All right, so we do have to wind down. Um, a couple more things, and then we'll close. He's called the comforter, and that's a personal statement. Um, he is the voluntary author of all divine operations. Remember in creation? And the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. Uh, he's the Spirit of God. Job, if y'all are reading with us in the Bible, we're in Job, and in Job 26, it said, The Spirit of God has made me. Job attributes his creation to the Spirit of God. It says, before, before you were born in your mother's womb, God, what? Formed you. And it's the Spirit of God that creates us. And so we can grieve Him. We can vex Him. And we can, um, we can say no to Him. Right? He is a person. And we can, we can lie to Him. That's what we just saw a minute ago. He is the one that appoints overseers in the church. It's a humbling thing to think that God used the Holy Spirit to call me out to be a minister. And I'm going to answer to him the rest of my life for the things that I teach you. And that's terrifying. Because I can go back in my life over the last 10 years and find things that I've taught. And then I learned later that what I was teaching was wrong. But I am held accountable for that. Why? Because the Spirit of God set me apart to do what He's called me to do. And so God uses His Holy Spirit to appoint uh, preachers and teachers and pastors. God uses the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sins. God uses the Holy Spirit to give you the strength and the willingness to go out and share His gospel with other people. You should be sharing the gospel with your family and your friends. The Holy Spirit is in you. He should be coming out of you. And I'll finish with this because we have run five minutes over. If the Holy Spirit is in me, what should be coming out of me? What? What should be coming out of me if the Holy Spirit lives in my heart? What should be coming out of me? Truth. Good. Truth? Well, Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit are love and joy and peace patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness and self-control and long-suffering. 
So if he is in me, what's going to come out of me? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, and long-suffering. But the deeds of the flesh are anger, wrath, envy, strife, jealousy, heresy, sedition, drunkenness, and carousing. And such things come out of people that are not inheriting the kingdom of God. So if God is in me, he's going to come out of me. And the spirit of God gets the glory for that. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together today. I do pray that you will help us to glory in your glory. That we will realize how special this relationship is that we have with you. And it's through you, Father, and through you, Son, and through you, Holy Spirit, that we can have that relationship. I pray that each and every one of us will take to heart the things that we've talked about today and to uh, humbly walk with you in the coming days. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.